Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this. Thank you. And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I would totally try to fuck Patrick Wilson in a park and take him from his wife, Joey Gentile. And you're about to meet the real hairy monster, Brandon Stanwyck. And this is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. And this is the class of 2006. We've made it over the hump. We're almost there. We're almost done. Yes, we're almost there. About halfway. Thank you for joining me on my musical um, little number there, by the way. I really appreciate that. Well, I, I was dancing on my side, so together we are the, the full package. Wait, what? Uh, are we Fred and Ginger? Sure. Yes. like it. I like it. Um, how's your week been? It's been pretty good. I've been trying to shake this headache that won't go away, but it's slowly fading. I feel like the characters in It Follows, but it's a headache instead of, you know, a weird sex demon. I was going to say, did, did you have sex to get this weird headache? Is that where, where that was coming from? That's just how I process um, analogies. I don't know. Oh, no. I was going to say, oh, um, okay. Good luck with the rest of that with your mans is then. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, I am exhausted. I just booked a shit ton of clubs in New York, and I am just tired. Like... It's one thing to perform all these. It's going to be a hectic week the week I'm there. But the constant back and forth, like, now I get why people have agents. Mm-hmm. I, I'm answering my calls, or my, I'm not like I'm getting a shit ton, but, like, I booked a week worth of shows while I'm there. So I feel like I'm answering emails or calls or sending in stuff for, for promos, and it's, like, nonstop. And I'm just like, eh. And on top of that... My iPhone just decided to take a shit today, so I had to go buy uh, an iPhone 11, which is nice because I haven't updated since the 7 Plus, so at least I'm kind of recent. But, um, dude, I, the dude at T-Mobile was like, why don't you get the 7 Pro Max? It's only a $550 deposit. I'm like, bitch, that's my rent. That's like, ridiculous. You, Phones are expensive. Right. Do you remember the days of going up to like a phone store and be like, here, Here's a hundred bucks. I'll take my LG chocolate now or like my Motorola razor for a hundred bucks. This shit is Apple is Apple. If you are charging the same amount for your laptops as you are phones now, something's wrong. Mm. That's where I'm at. So, but yeah, it's it's been a hectic week, but enough of me. We have a guest with us. Who is our guest today? Um, Our guest is someone who I have been looking forward to getting on the show for quite a while. She is a classic and independent film lover and a writer and podcaster for Next Best Picture, and she used to live where I currently live, and that is Casey Lee Clark. Sorry, I interrupted you. I got so excited. Hi. (laughs) Hi. Welcome to the crazy ship that is Academy Queens. I am happy to be here. (laughs) Um, so one thing we definitely love to ask our guests, um, because for, uh, if you've heard us by now, you know that we um, offer years to the guests. Why 2006? 
So I'm going to admit my age here when talking about this, but this was probably the first Oscar, at least the first Oscar ceremony that I remember and the mm. first time I really followed the Oscars and I was 10 years old. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I got into film not long after this. My parents didn't really censor too much of what I watched. It was, you know, if I, I got, I was a mature kid and I got very into film around this time and Little Miss Sunshine was kind of my gateway into, I think, everything that I love about movies now. It's one of my favorites ever. And so anything with that year is very special to me. Um, so, yeah, I think that was the first time that I, like, really watched a movie and was like, oh, this is what, like, movies can be. <laughs> and, like, it got me into following the Oscars. It got me into independent film. Like, it kind of opened up the door of, like, what it meant to be a grown-up and watch movies so that was a big one plus I also saw Devil Wears Prada in the theater at, a, at that young age so that uh -huh. was a little bit of a factor and I think I definitely saw Dreamgirls at that point as well so but yeah this being my first Oscar year was the big the big selling point no you're you're as they say your first is very memorable no matter what it is in life and trust me I remember my first Oscar ceremony it's very special to you because it really feels like your baby in a way yeah, especially anything involving Little Miss Sunshine, it's very dear to me. So go easy on it, Joey. I don't know your opinions yet, but go easy for me. <laughs> She's already prepared. <laughs> so we were even uh, stronger kindred spirits than we were before, Casey, because uh, this was the first Oscar ceremony that I ever watched, too. Um, oh, lovely. And, yeah, we uh, are kindred spirits in multiple ways. Yeah, we keep finding new ways that in which we are the same person. Uh yeah, The Departed was the first uh, Best Picture winner that I ever saw crown Best Picture. And um, The Little Miss Sunshine was also a gateway film for me when it came to independent film. I didn't really even know what independent film was at the time until I saw Little Miss Sunshine and realized there was this whole other world of small budget movies with a lot of heart and a lot to say. And uh, Little Miss Sunshine led to a lot of um, other discoveries for me. So 2006 is a pretty pivotal year in my uh, film watching. So last week we recorded with a special guest for the class of 2007? Yeah. Yeah, seven. And uh, I can't say who it is yet. Uh, actually, no, by the time this comes out, everyone will know because we're doing the announcement. So it was with J.D. Duran. And... Oh, nice. um, I completely was a third wheel on Brandon and JD's date for this episode. <laughs> so after hearing this little Miss Sunshine bit, I have a feeling that this is going to be two weeks in a row where, you know, I'm just a third wheel on another date. But we will see. We see. will see what happens. Um, I have a very funny quick story about the Devil Wears Prada that this, that film is near and dear to my heart. Um, I was a freshman going into my freshman year in high school when Devil Wears Prada came out. And I had my very first date with a girl to go see the Devil Wears Prada. And it's funny because we're still friends to this day. And she's like, I never ever thought you were gay. And I was like, really? Because when we said what when you asked me what movie we wanted to see, I instantly screamed at you the Devil Wears Prada. Like, come on. So it's a, it's it's a it's a great hilarious little lovable moment for me, and so I'm excited for this year. 
I also realized I completely blew it on my intro in that I should have done a line from one of the movies like you all and just been, here I am. <laughs> it's okay. So that gets us into this real good. It's okay. But um, let's dive in. But first, I have a little fun fact from my Oscars book here. Um, this was the first time with five African-Americans, two Hispanics, and one Asian actor nominated. It was the most... Eth- Wait, it was the most, uh, this is actually a typo in here. Okay. It was the most diverse lineup ever between the 20 acting nominees. It says it was the most ethically diverse, mm-hmm. but that was a very wrong typo for this book. Hmm. Yeah. We'll so just go with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I, I started there. But Miranda, take us away. So your uh, nominees for Best Supporting Actress in 2006 were... Adriana Barraza in Battle. Kate Blanchett in Notes on the Scandal. Abigail Breslin in Little Miss Sunshine. Jennifer Hudson in Dreamgirl. Rinko Kikuchi in Babel. All right, let's start with our winner for the year, Jennifer Hudson winning for Dreamgirls. This is so far her first and only win and nomination. Going into this, she was pretty much the front runner. It would have been quite an upset had she not won because she wins the Golden Globe, the BAFTA, the SAG, the Critics' Choice, the New York Film Critics, and she is one of two of the breakthrough performance winners for the National Board of Review. She's also recognized with the LA Film Critics and with the National Society of Film Critics. In Dreamgirls, Jennifer Hudson plays Effie White, whose voice is as large as her personality. And when uh, her girl group gains popularity, she is slowly pushed out in favor of the uh, band member with the softer voice. And she's not going. So, Casey, how do you feel about Jennifer Hudson in Dreamgirls? Well, I definitely, like I said, I saw Dreamgirls when it came out. And for some, I think I had only seen it the one time and I guess didn't care for it or something. So I hadn't seen it in over 10 years prepping for this. And I got to say, this mo- one, this movie's great and I really like it. And two, I think a lot of things that I like about her performance, beyond just her singing, which is fantastic, but beyond that, I think that particularly in that second half of the film is where I really see her like emotional range and growth as a character. And I think that that really stuck out to me of like, okay, beyond just the obvious big singing moments and her big climactic number, like I see what made her such a star and what made that win possible. I think it's fine. Um, I, 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 I don't find anything super special about this here. Now, mind you, I've also seen a very blurry version of this with Jennifer Holliday in this role, who won the Tony. And, you know, I can't compare because we're not, I mean, I will, I don't give a shit. But like, mm-hmm. when I say I can't compare, I get that one is on stage and one is a one is film. But Holiday did what Hudson couldn't, and that was bring a real emotion to the character to where I actually felt sorry for her. 
Hudson just plays her uh, plays this character as like just stuck up and annoying, and there's not a redeeming quality about her. And I just I I don't care about her. Um, so she did the complete opposite of what a holiday did. Um, the fact that this was such a runaway season for her is a little weird to me because essentially this is just a big music video for her. Um, I mean, I, I, I can never sing like Hudson. I, I get that. So don't at me for being like, eh, rah, rah. but like the, I'm not telling you is just not there for me when she's doing it again, though, I compare this to holiday. Um, it's fine, but I mean, there's not one person acting in dream girls uh, that I'm like, Oh, there's an Oscar. Um, it, it's all right. I don't love it. Yeah, I'm kind of in the middle on this one. Um, I don't love it either, but I did find um, some new appreciation for it on this last go-around. Um, it had been quite a while since I had last seen it, and um, all I really remembered was her big singing number um, about halfway through. And uh, it's easy to see why she won, I think, because of these five nominees. I think she's the one who is literally the loudest and it's easy to pinpoint where she is memorable because she's given you know that pretty big song and some other moments uh in the early half of the film where she's uh shining as a member of this group um but uh kind of like casey was saying i found the second half where she is sort of struggling and she's pushed out of stardom and she's basically in poverty trying to make something of herself uh the more interesting side of her performance um i wish the movie had given her more to do then um, i know it's not quite as glitzy and showy as the um singing portions of her performance but um i think uh jennifer hudson was actually being challenged in those moments to do something a little bit more internal and to make you, um, or try to make you feel something for this character. Uh, so yeah, I'm kind of in the middle on it. Um, I think it's perfectly all right. Um, Jennifer Hudson is obviously uh, an epic singer. Uh, there's few people that sing like her, but there's times there in that second half of the film where I wish someone who had a little bit more experience in the acting department was playing the role because I think someone else may have been able to dig a little bit deeper in those moments, but it's hard to find someone who could match Jennifer Hudson's vocals. So this would be a diff very difficult uh, part to cast. Um, do you guys know who technically originated this part before Holiday? Uh, no. Jennifer Lewis. Really? Jennifer, it's in her memoir. I highly recommend it. It's called Ooh. The Mother of Black Hollywood. Um, she played this part when it was in workshops, but then she was replaced by Holiday because Holiday was more bankable at the time. And she's always been slightly bitter about it, and understandably so. So, uh, yeah, Jennifer Lewis uh, technically originated this part. So I would love to see her version of this character. Yeah, interesting. I do see where both of you are coming from. And I think once we, not to spoil, but once we get to the rankings, I think that's why I have her at a certain spot and not higher because I do see that, like, you know, if she had had a little more years of being in films under her belt, that there could be maybe bringing out more nuance and emotions. Plus, I also think that, and this doesn't have much to do with her, but 
Jamie Foxx plays Curtis as such an asshole that there's elements of, and I'm telling you, where I'm just like, he's not the best man. Calm down. Like, yeah. it makes that scene not believable because I'm just like, no, he's not. Like, but that's just, yeah. So I see where you're coming from, definitely. I will also say, too, I think, I don't know if you guys had seen the Respect trailer that came out recently, the teaser, but even in the third, like 13 to 15 or second trailer that, she, that Hudson is playing, Aretha Franklin, gives me so much more than what she does in her entire role in Dreamgirls. I don't doubt that. Yeah, I think she's had a lot of time since this to like grow as a performer and everything, too. Right. Anything else on Hudson? Yes, because we actually have some questions about Hudson. Okay. So uh, I can kind of combine these ones, and one will actually come back to. Now, um, but one is from Kevin Jacobson, and the other one is from Jackson DeStefano. Uh, Jacobson's we'll have to come back to in a way because it says, Mirren and Hudson swept the season, but who do you think was second in each category? So we can only talk supporting right now. And then Jackson's was, imagine Hudson goes lead, who wins supporting actress instead? And does Hudson win lead over Mirren? First of all, I don't think she would go lead. She's definitely a supporting. It's always been a supporting role, even on the stage. So I, let's say she does go lead. No, she doesn't win over Mirren. Um, who wins supporting? I honestly would say Emily Blunt. She would be in there for that one. Now, going back to J uh, Kevin's question for the actual lineup, I don't know who would actually win this. I want to say one of the Babel ladies or Babel, however you want to say it. So I would probably say Barraza wins it, but that's just me. It's hard to say on paper who would win this because she basically took all the precursors. So it's yeah. hard to say like on paper, well, technically right. this person was the runner up because literally no one else won a major award besides Hudson. Yeah. Like some people got some little critics awards and Abigail Breslin got a, a ton of young actress awards and like breakthrough awards. But in terms of the major precursors, Hudson took them all. So really yeah. who would be second place is, would just be an opinion, I guess. I don't think there is a real scientific way of looking at it. Yeah. Does Hudson win lead over Mirren if she goes lead for you guys? Like, do you think that would have happened? No, I think she would have made, it would have been more of a fight, but I don't think she would have beat her ultimately. Yeah, I don't see her winning in lead for this. Um, well, that's all we had questions regarding Hudson, so. Okay, well, uh, our second supporting actress nominee is Adriana Barraza. Uh, this is her first and only nomination. Uh, she doesn't win anything major, but she is recognized with the Golden Globes, SAG, and Critics' Choice. In Babel, uh, Barraza plays Amelia, a housekeeper in California who is so determined to attend her son's wedding that she takes her employer's children over the border with her only for disaster to strike on the way back to the States. So, Joey, how do you feel about Adriana Barraza in Babel? I really like this. Um, I, there's, so, there's something so homey and so innocent about her character. She just wants the best for these children. She never means any harm. She is put in a really shitty position that she has no control over in a way. And does she break the law? Yeah. But I don't think it's ever facetious. I don't think it's ever a, a, a thing she wants to do to... Uh, piss anybody off i think she had to do what she had to do and it's heartbreaking in the end i mean she gets fired from this job she gets deported she it, it, she almost dies i mean 
let's talk Adriana for a second as a person. This woman, I believe, had five heart attacks in her life and then literally is carrying a young Al Fanning through the desert. Like, you go, Glen Coco, because she is on point. Um, I, yeah, I think she's really good here. I, I really appreciate this nomination. And, uh, yeah, I like her. So, first off, I will say that there are no performances that we're talking about today that I dislike. So, I just want to make that clear real quick. I don't care for Babel personally. I find I found it kind of messy and a lot of it's drama forced and contrived. And I think the its biggest problem is that I never feel like I fully get to know most of its characters, which I think makes Baraz's performance go down a bit for me because I always feel like I'm at a distance from her. Like I always wish that there was like one or two more scenes, but it's hard to for this long movie where you would put that in. And I think I always am left just like questioning her decision making and then not paying attention to her performance. She's quite good. And I think that she gives some great emotions and nuance. And I never don't believe her. I think it's more my problems with the film as a whole than her performance personally. But yeah, I think that she's put through the ringer in this. And I feel really bad for her at the end, of course. I'm not a huge fan of Babel either. I'm also just, I'm not a huge fan of Inuritu in general. Uh, for some reason, his movies just don't do it for me. There's always this slight air of pretension about his movies. I also think that whoever taught him the six degrees of Kevin Bacon game needs to be punched in the face. Because <laughs> he made, what, like four movies on that topic. Um, I do really like what Baratza is doing here. Um, I feel for this character, even though she is basically breaking the law i would say by i don't know taking these children across the border kidnapping i don't know what the legal actual charge would be but it seems like something that's a uh, pretty questionable uh, at the very least um it makes sense uh, why she would do that i mean her son's getting married down in her native uh, country and she would do anything to attend for obvious reasons and Due to the nature of the parent, the children's parents' situation, she takes it upon herself to just take them. And she doesn't mean any ill will or malice by doing so. So I think it's easy to uh, sympathize with her, even though she's doing this thing that is uh, morally gray. Um, I also really feel for her in the end when it looks like uh, the children might be dead when she's, you know, wandered away to get help and she left the children behind and then she gets uh, found by the border agents and they're going to take her away and possibly leave the children stranded in the desert. And you don't really know if the children might already be dead or if they will die due to the border agents uh, not listening to her. And it's kind of heart-wrenching. And um, it's very easy to get behind this character, I think. And uh, Baratza has a very, has a very warm way of uh creating this person even if her director seems to be more on the outside or seems to be more interested in shooting things from the outside and i guess that's just his style and his way of doing things um so that contrast between her approach and his approach is very interesting here but um i dig what she's doing yeah i don't think there's i don't think there's like a moment where her character well Maybe for Casey, but there isn't a moment yeah. where her character isn't interesting. I just think that she, something is always just happening to this poor woman to put her in such a weird scenario that she, it's just like, it's like karma in the most negative way, but for what? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I think I see where you're coming from. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's not that I don't find her interesting. I don't like this movie. And so I think that I don't blame her or her work 
for my faults with the script and the directing, personally. No, I get it. Babel gets a lot of shit. It really does. Like, I feel like when Inurito, when he did um, Birdman, like, that was his big comeback because people were just kind of, like, exhausted from these type of films from him. I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, no, I think that's it. I think that was a big factor. Well, I think uh, we can tra- uh, transition into the other Babel actress. That is uh, Rinko Kikuchi. Uh, this is her first and only nomination. Um, going into this, she is the second of the two uh, ladies to receive a breakthrough win from the National Board of Review. So it was her and Jennifer Hudson. And that's really the only precursor, if you even want to call it that, that she takes. Uh, but she is nominated with Golden Globe, SAG, and Critics' Choice. In Babel, uh, Rinko Kikuchi plays Chieko Wataya, a deaf teenager in Japan dealing with loneliness, the death of her mother, her father's dubious business life, and a complicated sexual awakening. So, Casey, how do you feel about Rinko Kikuchi in Babel? So these segments were actually the ones that I, I think drew me in the most, and maybe that's because they're so different from everything else in the film even though I have like some problems with like the way that they portray her sexually and it it, it always kind of feels kind of icky to me personally the like just uh, from this male lens and I think the continual like sexualization of like Japanese teenage girls in the media makes me kind of grossed out but outside of that I I really was struck by her performance and cause she, you know, only has to use so much with sign language and her like facial expressions. And I think that she, I felt like I was seeing like a complete day in the life story. And I think there was a lot of pain and confusion with her that I definitely got across. And, you know, she is like the point that ends the film. So I think that that's it. it you're left thinking about her personally for me. I would actually second that. I think um, when you leave this movie, Rinko is definitely the one who sticks out the most just because her storyline is the most unique of the bunch. It's not that there's something happening in her world or with her character that's tragic in a violent manner, but it's tragic on a personal um, a personal connection to what starts the violence, essentially, and even uh, a personal awakening. Um, you know, I'm not deaf. I, you're not, you guys aren't deaf. We're never going to understand what it's like to grow up deaf and how, you know, being deaf is such uh, an invisible handicap in a way. So I think, I think what she does here is she gives us the most realistic look into what it is like. And I buy it. I like it. I'm into it. Um, I'm emotionally connected with her. Um, I yeah, this is also really good. I, I like her a lot. Yeah, she stands out quite a bit in this movie. Um, I would say she's kind of like I guess Jennifer Hudson in Dreamgirls in that way that she is the one character who you're really left remembering. She has a pretty disturbing in a way story. Um, like Casey was saying, it this movie reminds you several times that it was directed by a man. Um, like the scene where she's at the dentist and he's like in her mouth and she keeps like trying to kiss him. It just feels like really gross in a way. And yet at the same time, she plays it in this very sad, challenging kind of way 
where she kind of makes it work in a very strange way. And uh, yeah, this, this movie is very, I don't know, it argues with itself a lot, you could say. Like with Barasa and Inuritu's contrasting ways of telling this story, I think Rinko Kikuchi and Inuritu are also sort of battling a little bit because I think she brings as much um, sincerity to the character as she can being a young woman. While this character is very obviously written by a man trying to create this sexually challenged young woman in Japan. I don't know. It's a movie that's very at odds with itself. And I think Rinko Kikuchi really sells what it is that Inuritu is trying to get at while making it as believable as she can, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you're always like, she always seems like she's just like internally trying so hard to feel something and to find this human connection and feel like she can fit in. And I think that that always comes across in her performance. Yeah, she's a deeply lonely person. And uh, this is how she's expressing herself or trying to solve the problem of being or of feeling so isolated. So I think she's able to deliver that pain that the character's feeling while making it um, as three-dimensional and realistic as she can, I guess is what I was trying to get at. So next we have Kate Blanchett nominated for Notes on a Scandal. This is her third of seven nominations, having previously been up for Elizabeth and The Aviator. And she does not win anything major going into this, but she uh, picks up nominations with the Golden Globe, SAG, and Critics' Choice. In Notes on a Scandal, Kate Blanchett plays Sheba Hart, the new art teacher at this high school, who begins an affair with one of her students. Joey, how do you feel about Kate Blanchett in Notes on a Scandal? So I've got a couple things regarding this movie and this performance. And I know we have uh, Ms. Dame Judy Dench to talk about with this too. So I'm going to keep this part as light as possible. There are, we watch a lot of movies for this podcast and we watch, watch a lot of movies in general and movies can be very long. And there are some movies that need to be long. This is a perfect 90 minute movie for most movies, but there's something that feels missing about Notes and a Scandal to where it should not have only been 90 minutes. I don't know if you guys feel like that, but this is like the film does not work for me because it feels like there is like a chunk of it missing for it to go from zero to 100 so quickly. Um, regarding the performance though, uh, Blanchett's okay here. I, uh, I, I don't know if it is because I feel like there's something missing from this movie that I just don't care about this character, but she really doesn't have anything to do until like the breakdown scene in Dench's apartment where she goes nuts and goes the like, like freaks out of the paparazzi. I mean, she's really strong there, but do I care about her in her journey to get there? Not so much. Um, I think it's fine, but I think this could have gone to anybody, and this really does kind of feel like a filler nomination to me. I am on the complete opposite side. So this movie's a trip, and I, I can see where you're coming from of it feeling like something is missing. And I, yeah, I think that I would definitely want to see if there was any scenes cut or whatever, especially in that middle point. 
I really love Blanchett in this. I think there's this su- this slow unraveling of her. And I think by the nature of the film, you rarely are fully from her point of view. And like you're kind of seeing her from the outside. But I still think that what she's bringing to it, I'm always fascinated by her. And I think that there's just so many interesting layers to this character and different sides of her that I kept wanting to see more of it than yeah I think her freak out scene is wild but it feels like you it's been building up to something when you know Judy Dench is crazy for most of the movie but contained crazy and so I feel like a lot of this movie is contained crazy and then that's like when it goes full bananas but yeah I don't know this movie even though I think that it gets very camp and silly I think that it also has some interesting things to say about its subject matters and I really took to the performances in it. Yeah I really dig this movie's runtime. Um, I think what it does not give you it is intentionally withholding from you. I think it holds back a lot of what it could have shown us with the Kate Blanchett character with Sheba and this young boy and their sort of beginning, middle, and end. Um, It kind of shows it to you in pieces and I think a little bit out of order as well. And I think um, maybe in some regards, um, showing more of that backstory and context might have given you some more Cate Blanchett moments and it would have maybe shown you the the buildup in a more um, concise way. But... I actually kind of like that it um, decides to not give you those moments. I think it makes the movie more interesting and it sort of makes um, what she's doing a little bit more ambiguous, I guess. Like, well, the fact that she is a teacher sleeping with her student is, you know, automatically a red flag, but it doesn't really give you these um, scenes where you think, oh, they're falling in love or they're going to run off together and whatever. Like you see like in the news about, some student, some teacher falling in love and whatnot. But I think it it makes the movie more interesting because it makes what Judy Dench is going through more interesting. Um, of course, we're going to get to her in a little bit. But um, Kate Blanchett, with what we are given, we do get like this very consistent deterioration of her uh, psyche and confidence and station in life. Uh, she's very steadily slipping. Uh, throughout this movie and um, what we see from her in the later portion of the film I think is very slowly uh, built up to like Casey was saying so when it does finally happen and she does crack um, it doesn't come out of nowhere it's been very carefully engineered Uh, I also I love that shot Uh, I think this is after she and her husband have had their split where she dons her old like punk rocker makeup when Mm -hmm. she's when she's in this like uh depressive angry guilt-ridden state it's almost like she's reverting to some like old form of drag like an like a a time period from when she felt her best uh i think it's a very telling shot and i really like it so yeah, the movie doesn't give us as much as it could with the Kate Blanchett character, but I think that's actually what makes the movie and her performance more interesting, that it kind of forces us to piece some things together and fill in the gaps ourselves. 
It was funny. I, I rewatched this and then I started like getting ready for next season too and watching uh, some stuff. And I revisited Blue Jasmine like right before I watched this. And then at a breakdown scene, all I could do is see a crying punked rock Cape Blanchett. And I just wanted her to go, I see you, Erica. And like, I don't know why that just hit a really solid nerve with me because I was like, you know what? That's what this character needed. She needed to be like Blue Jasmine in a way. And I don't know if that makes sense, but it worked for me. So I'm going to stick with it. I don't know. It feels filler. <laughs> I, I see where you're coming from, but yeah, I don't know. It really worked for me personally. Do you guys find it interesting that she did not pick up a BAFTA nomination for this? Because I was surprised when I was doing my, my notes for this that BAFTA snubbed her. It seemed like if anywhere she would get in there, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I don't know. I don't I mean, it was, know. Was Dench the only nomination for the film there? I feel like... Dench was nominated. Dench was, it feels yeah. like they probably just didn't care for the movie, but they like her because she's Dame Judy Dench. So... Well, we do have a question regarding Kate Blanchett from Catherine Short. If Kate Blanchett had not appeared in Notes on a Scandal in 06, would she have been nominated in supporting for Babel? And would the film have tied the record set by Tom Jones? No, no, and no. They barely give her anything to do in Babel. She gets shot and then pees in a bucket. We're not, no. That would have been her worst nomination had she been nominated for Babel. Yeah. I think we're all in agreement there. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a no across the board. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else on Blanchett before we move on? Just this, I, I find some of this movie so quotable, like I mentioned earlier. But the like, like what you want to fuck me, Barbara? <laughs> <laughs> it's just great. She's also so hot in this with her little bangs. Ugh. Oh, I... can. can... Oh, go ahead, Brandon. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, I really do love this movie. I remember watching this for the first time. I think I was in high school when I saw this. And I just found it so delectable. And then I've seen it a few times in the years since. And I always just find it so fucking enjoyable. I feel like this is a movie that the gays should latch on to because it seems like everything that we love. Yeah. <laughs> and we get our first little curly-cued Juno Temple in this movie. Which, really, at the beginning of the last decade, I would have thought Juno Temple would have had the career that Emma Stone has now with a few nominations under her belt. Where in the, what in the world happened to Juno Temple? Bring her back. Well, uh, our fifth uh, supporting actress is Abigail Breslin. Uh, this is her first and only nomination here for Little Miss Sunshine. Um, going into this, uh, she does get a Critics' Choice Award. Uh, it's for a young actress, so I'm not sure if you would consider that a precursor, but Critics' Choice is a pretty big one. Uh, but she is nominated with BAFTA and SAG. In Little Miss Sunshine, Abigail Breslin plays Olive Hoover, a girl who learns she has qualified for a beauty pageant. So she and her dysfunctional family hop in their van and basically race against time to get from Albuquerque to California so she can compete. Casey, how do you feel about Abigail Breslin in Little Miss Sunshine? I think it's just like a, a very sweet and lovely performance that I think she allows to show such great vulnerability that I don't think, like the type of vulnerability that I don't think a lot of kids show in films like this. I think that, you know, her own insecurities, her nerves, the way that what people in her family say might affect her. And I think that 
while she probably doesn't get as much to do as everybody else in the film or as her like adult co-stars, I still think that she has such great moments in it. And I think that she brings this heart to the film that I've always latched on to. And I think she just, it, she feels like a normal girl and it feel and it feels nice to see that type of performance in a film like this. And especially a film about beauty pageants. It's, she's a very unlikely beauty pageant contestant but she loves it so much and it's that always feels genuine to me so are you ready (laughs) thanks for your enthusiasm guys um i don't hate little miss sunshine i really appreciate this movie but this is one of the most confusing nominations in this category in this decade just because while yes i agree um, that there's this genuine realness about Breslin. This is one of those kid nominations where I'm just like, what, where's the acting? Um, she's a cute kid, sure. But that doesn't mean you deserve an Oscar nomination. Um, you know, we've talked about some kids in the past, Tatum O'Neill, Quinn Cummings, and Anna Paquin. And all three of those, uh, well, young ladies then, but women now, now, um, all three of them actually did something in the roles. You know, Tatum was was a snarky and sassy, and Quinn was uh, a quick-tongued little brat, and Anna was emotional but all over the place. Breslin is just a kid. There is nothing in this role that's like, there's a nomination. Um, so while I don't mind her acting in it, I think it's fine. This nomination is very undeserved, very undeserved. And I don't get how she got in. So I think it's very easy to love this character. Uh, she brings a whole lot of um, heart to this movie that already has quite a big heart. Um, it's also a character that's very easy to root for. I mean, she doesn't really belong in this world that she wants to be a part of and that's not her fault Uh, it's the fault of the world that she wants to be a part of um i mean she's a little bit too pudgy and not quite as cute or attractive as or whatever you want to call it that these pageant girls are she's not the same kind of pretty that these girls are and you know that goes into the whole you know social norms about feminine beauty it even at such a young age, which in a way is kind of sick in a way. Um, But I think Abigail Breslin also really taps into what this movie is about. Like, I I believe uh, when Michael Arndt uh, came up with the idea for this movie, there was like this quote from Arnold Schwarzenegger that I think the movie actually quotes in the beginning, where Schwarzenegger says, like, the one thing he hates in this world is losers. Like, he despises losers. And that was sort of like the jumping off point for Michael Arndt to write this. Uh, because in a way, Olive, she is someone who would be seen as a loser in this world. And um, the whole point of the movie is it's not really about the winning. It's just about doing what feels right and doing what you love and fuck the rest. I think that's actually a line that Paul Dano says at some point. Mm-hmm. Um So Olive is a character who's really going against the grain here and she doesn't give a shit. 
Um, I don't know if she consciously realizes that she, for lack of a better term, doesn't belong in this world or if she's just saying fuck it. But I really dig it. I like what she's doing here. I really like the character of Olive. Um, I also think it's really important to acknowledge the scenes opposite her and Greg Kinnear because her father, played by Kinnear, really embodies that Schwarzenegger quote about losers. I mean, his whole life is about winning. Um, he was probably someone who, if social media had existed in the same way in 2006, he would probably hashtag everything with winning. He's just that kind of person. So her her reaction to him, especially, I think, when they're in the diner and he's giving some speech about winning and how losers are awful and there's no point in doing anything unless you win. Um, her reaction to that moment, I find really heartbreaking and touching every time I see it. Um, so I think Abigail Breslin is doing something really remarkable here. Uh, she basically is this movie. Um, every, the whole cast is wonderful, but I think she's really the rug that ties the room together. Uh, I think she's great here. And piggybacking off of what you said, Brandon, that there's moments with her and the family and then it all kind of comes full circle when she has the talk with Alan Arkin's character when she's just like, I don't want dad to think that I'm a loser. Like that you're seeing what this, that upbringing has like, how that has affected her. And I, yeah, that's a lot to do with the, the great screenplay, but I think that there's some vulnerability and honesty with her performance that I, like you, I've always kind of drawn to. But I, I will say this kind of agreeing with Joey in that it's maybe like my fifth or sixth favorite performance of this ensemble. And I think a big factor was that there was category confusion with Tony Collette. And so this was kind of like an easy opening to get the film a nomination. Not to say that for me it wasn't deserved, but I can see why she of most of this film was nominated, so. Well, it's funny that you brought up Colette because we actually have a question about Colette, which we'll get to in a second. But do you guys remember when this movie came out, there was actually an interview with Alan Arkin who was like, someone had asked him if he would vote for Breslin and he's like, hell no. He's like, do you think I, because he's like weirdly against kids being nominated. So he's like, I think the nomination is a little too much, let alone a win here. So if this works for her career, good luck. And I was like, Damn, dude. <laughs> like, Honey Badger did not give a fuck. Um, so we definitely have some questions here regarding Little Miss Sunshine and then the category in general. Um, starting with Riot Project Slay. Do you think Steve Carell was close to getting... I know we don't do it with the guys, but it's, it's here. Do you think Steve Carell was close to getting a nom for Little Miss Sunshine or was supporting actor too tough to crack? I don't know. I, I don't ever... I don't think he was, but that's just me. I mean, yeah, I mean, I would have nominated him, but I don't know if he was close or not. I think it's one of those things where with everybody in that film basically being supporting, it was like Arkin was an easy one of a veteran actor overdue type thing to latch on to, as opposed to, say, him or Dano or someone. Yeah, I don't know how close Steve Carell was realistically, but I feel like if anyone was, if any of the men was going to get it other than Arkin, I want to say it was probably Paul Dano but I'm not entirely certain. Uh, Paul Dano is probably actually my favorite performance of the ensemble for some reason. I've always been kind of fond of that performance and his character. 
So maybe that's just me talking, but for some reason I see Paul Dano as being the the next likely after Arkin, if we're talking about the men. And we have to remember, too, that this was a, not even a full year after Carell's big break with the 40-year-old virgin. So I think from him going from such comedy to, in a way, in a way, really dramatic work. Um, I don't know if it was too much of a shock for people watching it. Yeah, I do know. Get in. Yeah, I do know that this was fil- either filmed before that or filmed before that came out. And same with The Office. And so when he was like casted, it he was like a barely been in anything, nobody. And so that it like kind of raised the profile a bit of the film once it premiered at Sundance and so on. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, Tony Collette, again, another question from Catherine Short. Did category confusion, again, this was funny that you said it like that. Did category confusion prevent Tony Collette from uh, gleaning a nomination for Little Miss Sunshine? And if she had been nominated as a lead, who do you think she would have replaced? Um, Casey, start us on that one since you brought this up earlier. Yeah, so apparently, I don't know if they, if this, I didn't look into it too much that she was campaign lead, but she was nominated for lead at Glows, but then supporting at BAFTA. So I think there might have been some confusion there as to whether she was lead or supporting. I, I actually think she probably may have, would have had a better shot in supporting just because it's hard to really call that a lead performance. And I think that in comparison to those other actresses, it would have been hard. But yeah, I don't know. I've never really seen Colette as a lead in Little Miss Sunshine. Um I guess it, she's just always felt very supporting to me in this movie, considering, you know, this cast of, what, six people. And I, I don't know, maybe it's because she's so central to the story, but I always kind of felt like if any one of them was going to be lead, it was probably Abigail Breslin, just because she's sort of the thing that ties this whole thing together, and she's sort of the, the centerpiece of the whole thing, and she's, in a way, the title role. So... I don't know. I feel like if anyone's more lead, it's actually Breslin. I don't know. Colette's never really crossed my mind as a lead in this. Yeah, I would agree. I think that I think this is an ensemble piece, so this is like definitely one of those things where I talk about like everyone is supporting. So I don't I don't know if she would have really done well in lead, but I definitely could have seen Tony Clark get a nomination. I just definitely think it it didn't help because nobody knew where to place her. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that said, uh, to finish up because we have one more from Catherine Short. Uh, this has to deal with the category. With The Departed being a Best Picture winner, did Vera Farmiga stand a chance at getting nominated or was her role just too small? Um, I don't think that a small role can prevent a nomination. I think if you're really good, you can get a nomination. We've seen that before. But I don't think what Farmiga had to do in The Departed really garnered her nomination, but that's just me. Yeah, and I feel like because the focus was so much on the men of that movie, I think that it, it, I don't think it was enough to catapult it to a nomination. Yeah, I love Vera Farmiga, and I think she's perfectly fine in The Departed. I guess I could conceive of her getting in if this were a weaker year, and it would be a coattail nomination, to be honest, even though I think she's perfectly fine in The Departed. It would basically just be the love of the film that I think would pull her through if this year had a weaker pool of supporting actresses but um with this year i don't think that was a possibility yep and to finish up our supporting actress questions super simple from nick uh sopranio i'm sorry if i fucked up your last name where is emily blunt for the double wars prada at bafta (laughs) at bafta and the and sag 
Yeah, because I, obviously, having been very young when this award season happened, I didn't realize how close she really was to getting a nomination. I always thought it was one of these things that we all just, like, said because she's so good in the movie and she's so great. But it was definitely possible. Yeah, I think this was the closest she actually ever came to uh, getting in because she was pretty much at every precursor and then missed the Oscar to, I honestly have to say, Breslin took her spot. So um, it's quite interesting that she was not there because she is a highlight in that film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Your lead nominations for 2006 were... Penelope Cruz in Volver. Judy Dench in Notes on a Scandal. Helen Mirren in The Queen. Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada. Kate Winslet in Little Chicken. All right, let's start with this year's winner, Helen Mirren, as the queen in The Queen. Um, This is her third of four nominations. She won everything. She wins at Golden Globes, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, the LA Film Critics, the National Review, the National Society of Film Critics, the New York Film Critics Association, and SAG. I mean, this was her Oscar to to lose, pretty much. Um, In The Queen, again, Mirren plays The Queen, the titular role Um, In the aftermath of Princess Diana's death and the scrutiny that the royal family was under and how she handled it and um, all that good royal jazz. So, Casey, what do you think of Helen Mirren in The Queen? It's so interesting watching this film now, having, like, I think, knowing more about the royal family, having had there been three seasons of The Crown and where the royal families ended up. I definitely felt like a different historical context to this film but I think she's she's very good in it I think that she's incredibly believable she's very stern and I guess has moments of vulnerability but I think that's the one downside is that sometimes it can come across as one note and I think that's just the nature of the character and who she is but you know I think I I think she's she's quite good because she's a a class act actress. So I think that that was, you know, she's doing what she can with the material and with the type of character that it is. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Uh, I, Helen Mirren has a very natural regal quality about her. So I think it's very easy to buy in to this idea that she is the queen. Um, I actually, outside of the crown and other dramatizations of the royal family i don't really know that much about the actual queen and the way she speaks and moves and all that so i don't know how quote-unquote accurate her portrayal is but i actually really kind of like that she does her own thing with it i think um at least it doesn't feel to me like she's trying to do some sort of impression or perfect um i don't know perfect uh impersonation of the queen it feels like she's going in her own route going her own way with it. And um, I think it works for her. Um, I'm actually kind of more of a fan when biopics do that, um, when they sort of just embody the spirit of a person as opposed to trying to be trying to be a carbon copy of them. Um, yeah, she does at times kind of have this wall that she builds up and it's hard to see through it at moments because she is playing someone so prominent, so important. 
she's playing someone who can't really show all that much, at least publicly, or to the people who aren't the closest to her. But she gives you some moments where you're able to see through the keyhole in a way. And um, I think it's a perfectly admirable performance. Um, I'm not exactly mad that she won for it. I like that Helen Mirren has an Oscar, but um, it's not my favorite Mirren performance. Um, but it's not one that I act that I actively despise either. So I'm kind of in the middle on it. Yeah, I'm very in the middle on this one as well. Um, it, it actually, this is like Hudson kind of boggles me that this was the one to that won everything this year. I think she's fine. I find the film The Queen to be pretty boring. Um, and I'm a huge history buff, but this just doesn't work for me. Um, I also find her performance to just be there. I am not blown away by it. I don't hate it, but I don't know if I want to say like I find it to be bland because I don't think I do. I'm just like, all right, you know, there's Mirren. Um, uh, it's definitely not even Mirren's best nomination. I'll say that. Um, it's all right. I don't, I don't love it, but I don't hate it. Yeah, I think it's very easy to believe that she is the queen. So I wonder if that was working for her. Because I think Helen Mirren just has this very, I don't know, very regal quality about her. Like I said a few minutes ago, that maybe that was really working for her. I don't know how many actors really have that sort of quality where they don't feel like they are them anymore. Like you just believe that Helen Mirren's the queen. Uh, maybe I'm just weird, but I buy it. Yeah, I definitely find it to be a believable performance. I find, I think I like her portrayal of Queen Elizabeth better than most that I've seen just as far as feeling like, you know, a real, I don't even, a lot of this film feels like an honest critique of the monarchy, which I appreciate. I think it kind of doubles down on that by the end. And I think they kind of had to do it that way. But I think that, yeah, she always feels believable to me. I'll give it that. I think those moments of critique are actually the more interesting moments with Mirren when it kind of feels like the entire monarchy is crumbling and that she just very well might be the last monarch. And she kind of, you kind of get this sense when she's in private that she feels the entire history of the monarchy on her shoulders. And if it all does fall apart in this moment of political turmoil, that she, it will go down in history that she was the reason and I think those moments from Mir Mirren are some of the most interesting. But kind of like her performance in um, Gosford Park, she's playing a person who actively does not want us to enter her mind, you know? So she has to sort of hide what she's feeling as best she can while also revealing just enough to the audience or letting the audience in just enough so that we understand where she is. It's it's kind of a complex performance when you kind of look at it that way. Uh, well, to go back to Kevin Jacobson's question, um, I'm pretty uh, pretty sure that Meryl Streep came second in this lineup. How about you guys? Yeah, because she's won the Globe, obviously in a different category, but, you know, it is a precursor, so. I could see that, yeah. 
All right, moving on to Judy Dench as Barbara Covette in No Ton of Scandal. This is her sixth of seven nominations. All nominations this year. Why? Because Mirren took all of the wins. Um, Golden Globe and Drama, BAFTA in lead, Critics' Choice in lead, National Society of Film Critics in lead, and the SAG nomination in lead. In No Ton of Scandal, again, Judy plays Barbara, who is a psychopath. She is, um, she gets obsessed. She's a character who gets obsessed with, uh, other female uh, faculty members in her school and is very, uh, very manipulative in getting friendships and uses blackmail and will go at any length to destroy anybody to get her way. So uh, Brandon, what do you think about Dench in Notes on a Scandal? I really love Judy Dench in Notes on a Scandal. Um, I think Judy Dench thrives when she's playing characters with an edge. Um, it seems like she gets the most praise when she plays these sort of more, these lighter characters, like her sort of comedic Elizabeth I in Shakespeare in Love and then Shock a Lot, you know, she went sag. But I really like this darker side of Judy Dench that I don't think we get often enough. Um, this movie is just gay candy in a way. This These two... Um, epic actresses uh, screwing each other's lives over just for the hell of it, it seems, at times. Also due to intense jealousy and lust and all sorts of weird feelings. But Dench goes so deep with this character. She takes you on such a ride where at times you kind of do want her and Kate Blanchett to get together and have their own little lesbian affair. And then at other times you really do want Dench to tear down Blanchett and destroy her life. And I don't know, whatever Judy Dench is doing, I seem to be on her side, even though she's in a way kind of a, a villainous character in this movie. But um, this is a movie that I just, I'm just along for the ride every time I watch it. Uh, I really enjoy this film. I think Judy Dench really makes the most out of this performance. And um, I wish we got this side of her more. She's, she seems to be having a really fun time playing this character, even when she's in her moments of um, feeling distraught. But um, yeah, I really dig this Judy Dench outing. I, yeah, I agree with you. I think that I we're so used to seeing her play queens or these soft old ladies like Philomena or something. And so it was so refreshing to see her play somebody so twisted isn't the word that I'm looking for, but so complex and dark. And I think that she plays it so well in that you always believe that she thinks she's right at all times. And she is always 100% feeling no doubt about what she is doing. And I think that that makes her incredibly believable. And I think that it, continually draws you in. I think the film does a good job of you fully knowing and understanding her with it being from her point of view and with the voiceovers of her diary entries. I think that there's, you kind of slowly realize what is going on and what all is kind of in her head. And I think that she portrays that really well. And I think that it always is an incredibly entertaining performance, especially. So yeah, I feel like everything that you said, Brandon, I agree with. I agreed with both of you. Um, despite my issues with the film, like I said, I, I think there's something that feels very missing from this movie. Dench, as devious Dench, is my favorite type of Dench. 
because she is just so delicious with her uh, her evilness in a way. And I kind of wonder, like, you know, we're so used to a fun dench or a dramatic dench, but we, ne- I'm saying that word way too much, um, but <laughs> we, we never get this malicious dench and I love it. Um, I wish she did more of it. Uh, and I wish there were more, more roles written for women at this age like this. Um, I, I've got no complaints. I enjoy this one a little bit too much. Um, but yeah, I dig it. I dig it a lot. Is it weird that I kind of want her to be my English teacher? No, because I could see that wanting, you know, that for you. <laughs> yeah. I at least want her to give me, like, book recommendations, you know? I want to be scolded by her. I bet yeah. she would. Yep. She's just, like, it feels like it. her, what the film has to say about obsession and these types of things, I think that she just does it so well and in a way that feels both over the top and ridiculous, but also I never don't believe her. And I think that, that, you know, that there are people that think this way and act this way. And I think that she sells that so well. And yeah, she always seems like she's having fun with it. It's never, there's nothing phoned in here. It feels very um, Victorian in a way, this sort of um, story about, lust and desire and jealousy and betrayal and revenge it feels very i don't know like 19th century gothic romance horror you know and maybe that that goes in with her profession but uh i don't know i wonder if this character feels that way if she feels like she's a a gothic heroine i don't know it's just a weird thought that just crossed my mind you never know um, we have something on Notes and a Scandal that is literally not a question. Why? Because it literally starts with not a question. Um, <laughs> this is from Mika. So again, it says not a question. Just want to say Notes and a Scandal is one of the best dramas of the 21st century and was pretty much robbed across the board. Philip Glass should have taken a second Oscar home that night for achievement and music written for motion pictures, original score. That's it. Mm-hmm. I am a fan of Philip Glass. So sure. Mm-hmm. Mika had to get his in there. Get his in there. Um, I watched I this just... the same week as The Hour, so I, I I think I have a bias on a Philip Glass score, but yes, it is good. <laughs> All right, moving on, we have Penelope Cruz as Ramunda in Volver. Um, in Volver, uh, Penelope going into this had nominations across the board from Golden Globes, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, LA Film Critics and SAG. However, she won the Cannes Film Festival for Best Actress. But her win for Best Actress was an ensemble win for every woman in this movie, which I don't know has ever happened before. Um, so little fun fact there. In uh, Volver, again, uh, Penelope plays, plays Ramonda, who is a woman who moves back home after a tragedy strikes to kind of like rebuild her life and start up this restaurant. And along the way, she just discovers a whole new world around her. So Casey, what do you think about Penelope in Volver? So this was actually my first Pedro Almodovar film, and now I'm hooked. I think she's so incredible in this. I think she she's just like the best on-screen crier where I just watch the tears well up and fall down her face. I think that she shows a lot of 
warmth and vulnerability and I think that she's a character who you grow to learn much more about as the film goes on and that's the way that it plays out but I think that she I think I, I think all the women in this film are great but I think what she does in particular is that she always draws you in and I she feels like someone with secrets and she feels like someone keeping secrets as we see in the film and I think it's this tightrope of her keeping them and discovering things and having to face these things and move on that I think she handles really well and I think that she just conveys so much with her face and I think that I I especially love her final moment with her mother and just the way she says something like oh mom there's so much I have to tell you and I think that there's so much honesty to her performance that I've really gravitated towards personally yeah I think she's amazing in Volvere Cruz feels so at home in this world I mean, it's it's no question when you watch the film uh, that she was one of Almodovar's muses in the 90s and early 2000s uh, because they, they seem to have a relationship that's near perfect. Um, Penelope feels born to play this role. It feels so made for her, and it very well might have been considering her relationship with the director. Um, I don't think she has a false line reading or a false gesture whatsoever. I think she's fantastic in this film. Um, the sequence where she's disposing of the dead body of her um, husband, who her daughter has killed, I think is fantastic. I took so many screenshots while I was watching that scene because the framing of so many of those shots is just fucking perfect. And Penelope Cruz holding up the murder weapon is now one of my favorite shots in Almodovar's uh, canon. Um, I think she's great. Uh, I also really love the scene where she sings for the oh, film crew. Yeah. So fucking beautiful. Um, I mean, it's so hard to talk about this performance without just like gushing and raving because um, it's fantastic. Uh, not sure what else to say about it. So one of my favorite, favorite things about the academy that i or uh, academy past that i wish they would bring back is the live readings of the nominees because uh, on nomination morning because i don't know if you guys remember when salma hayek uh, when it was announced that penelope cruz had gotten a nomination the genuine excitement from her was so wonderful and we don't get those moments when they do these pre-tape nominations now so that makes me really sad if you guys haven't seen that check it out it's wonderful um this was also my first pedro film and i haven't seen this movie in about nine years and i did not revisit it for this because if you heard us talk in our patreon episode and for 09 uh best picture I described watching Up as such an experience that I was so afraid to watch again because I loved it so much and I felt like the second time wouldn't be a special. And that's how I feel about Volver. There was, like you said, Brandon, uh, the, the beautiful shots, the cinematography, the storyline. I mean, it Volver is probably my favorite Pedro film. Um, and... Cruz is no exception to that. She is 100% beautiful in this. 
There is not a moment that I was never not rooting for her. Um, there's there, there there's this loneliness to her character, and then there's this joy joyfulness to her character, and you feel every emotion that she's going through. And I don't know if this is going to make sense. I don't speak fluent Spanish, um, but even though this film is subtitled, I don't need to read the subtitles to understand what Cruz is saying here because it just, the, the, the language and her delivery just feels so universal. She's a very expressive performer. Yes. Yeah. And not in a bad way whatsoever. Yeah. And God damn is she good. Now, again, I haven't seen this since I saw it the first time nine years ago. Um, and I was afraid to because it, it was very special to me when I first watched it. So forgive me for this being one of the few times I've not revisited a film for this podcast, but um, I didn't feel like I needed to. Yeah, it's a really great film. Uh, I don't know if it was my first Almodovar. For some reason, I want to say it was Bad Education, but I'm not positive. There was a time period in high school where I was like really obsessed with his work. Maybe it did start with Volver. Maybe it was because of this nomination. I'm not sure. But I did watch a ton of his movies in high school, so I can't exactly say what order they came in. He was very influential on me. Nice. Oh, this film deserved more nominations. I'm just going to say that. All right, all right. Moving on, we have Kate Winslet as Sarah Pierce in Little Children. This is her fifth of seven nominations. All nominations going into this night from SAG, Critics' Choice, BAFTA, and the Golden Globe in the drama category. In Little Children, again, Winslet plays Sarah, who is... A mom in white town suburbia who the other moms on the playground don't really respect and kind of shun her a little bit. But then there's this new guy in town who's the stay-at-home dad um, who she starts an affair with. And then there's this big scandal in town with a pedophile who had just been released in jail or out of jail. And it just feels like a giant lifetime movie but for the screen so Casey what do you think about Kate Winslet as Sarah and Little Children I think she's she's good I think this film makes some very weird choices and I think that that hinders some of her performance I think also because I've seen better more nuanced interesting Kate Winslet performances that it's not what I leave this film thinking about it's not that she's bad in any way I just think that I I think of what could be done differently or better with this character. And I don't know if that's just her performance or the writing, but it's, yeah, it's not the thing that I leave this film thinking about besides her and Patrick Wilson fucking on top of that washer. Um, (laughs) That's where this movie shines is all of those scenes. So, Yeah. yeah. And I think that, her dramatic scenes, I always, I kept wanting more from her. And again, I feel like I've seen her do better. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same place with Winslet here. Um, She feels perfectly okay. It doesn't really seem like this role is really challenging her in ways that we've seen her challenged in other roles. Um, This film is very strangely told. Um, I kind of have a very mixed mixed feelings on the um the voiceover 
how the it's very stylized uh this use of voiceover in this movie it feels almost like you're watching a nature documentary like i feel like that's what they're <laughs> going for like these yes. like these women at this park with their kids are like mother lions you know and it's part of some like pride and then kate winslet's like this other lioness that just like wandered in and they're like feeding on her i don't know it's a weird thing but um i guess that makes the movie interesting because otherwise it would just feel like this sort of suburban love affair lifetime sort of movie um but yeah kate winslet as a performer um i guess it's it's not bad but i'm also not exactly like thrilled with it i think she's doing all right here um it's a movie that i think is more interesting on the page um I've actually read this script and uh, I kind of like the way that it's written on the page because I think it really, it the, the narration, the voiceover makes sense that way. Um, you really get the feeling for why the stylization of it kind of works here. Um, but yeah, as a performer, I think she's just, uh, she's all right here. Well, we definitely agree here. Um, I, this is my Abigail Breslin of this lineup. I'm not really sure what she did here to garner all these nominations and let it lead into an Oscar nomination. Um, she's fine. She's Kate Winslet. Um, but, you know, I, if I, the standout in this film is Jackie Earl Haley and his work here. Yep. So, I mean, there is no doubt in my mind that, like, his nomination was 100% deserved. Um, but I mean, if it, when it comes to the women, I, I gotta say, I kind of lean towards Jennifer Connelly's character a little bit more just because like, especially the scene where the fork is dropped under like the dinner scene where she like senses there's something going on. Like, I think her acting there is really nuanced and really like, it almost feels like she's a viper ready to attack. Um, that would have been some nom- nominee or nomination worthy work, but Winslet, sure, I guess. Uh, sorry to this woman, but no. <laughs> I wish I had been less reserved when I was younger and actually talked to Jack or Haley more about this performance. When Wait, we... I'm sorry, what? Yeah, we had lunch together once. Um, I wish I had been, had the balls to actually talk to him about it because I, I, I worked on a movie that he directed and um, oh, he, yeah. he sat next to me at lunch once just randomly and I was kind of like surprised because usually directors don't do that. And I think I did mention, oh, I, I liked you a lot in Little Children or something like that. And he just kind of said thanks, like kind of awkwardly, like someone who doesn't know how to take compliments. Um, and I don't know. I was always kind of trying to be like professional and not like fanboy over someone. While on the inside, I really wanted to talk to him about this performance and this character. Yeah. So I kind of I wish I had just said fuck it and just did it. But I was I was young and new to the filmmaking profession and I was trying to be cool. So I didn't, but I really wish I had, I kind of regret that now. He's really nice by the way. Nice. Yeah. He's, um, we're actually friends on Facebook. Um, and I've actually talked to him about, cause he was in day of the locust with Karen black. And so I remember seeing that and talking with him about on there and it is actually him. It's really nice guy. But I totally forgot that he was in um, Cleveland for that movie. Yeah, he directed a movie that's not very good called Criminal Activities. Uh, I was a production assistant 
on that movie. And so uh, that was, uh, I don't know, one of the second, no, third movie I worked on. Yeah, third. But uh, yeah, I was. he sat next to me at lunch once. I was pretty surprised. And uh, we talked a little bit, but not very much because I was trying to be cool and professional. <laughs> and I was stupid for doing that. Well, it's okay. Um, I love how we talked about pretty much everyone else around her and for little children, by the way. Um, for that well, one, so <laughs> you know, all right, Meryl Streep in her comeback role in a way as Miranda Priestly in The Devil Wears Prada. This is her 14th of 21 nominations. She wins the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Musical Comedy, but is then nominated at BAFTA and Critics' Choice. But she wins the National Society of Film Critics for Best Lead and is nominated at SAG. Um, in The Devil Wears Prada, again, Meryl plays Miranda Priestly, who is essentially a, a character based off of Anna Winter. Uh, Vogue, and she is the boss bitch from hell who truly does actually have a heart, but this dragon of a woman in the end is really only out for her career. So, Brandon, what do you think of Meryl in Devil Wears Prada? Well, I think she's amazing in Devil Wears Prada. I mean, is there, I don't think there is a more memed character. Uh, from Meryl or in this lineup. Uh, I mean, this is a character who, I mean, this movie was from what, like 14 years ago now, and she is still so prevalent in like the zeitgeist in like pop culture. Um, it's a highly quotable uh, character, a very delicious performance, you could say. Um, it It's a role that it almost seems un, it seems like a role that no one else could have played. Like, Meryl plays it so well and so iconically that it would almost be sacrilegious for another person to play this character. Um, I think Miranda Priestly is synonymous with Meryl Streep. Uh, I think she's hilarious in this. Uh, I don't really want to ever work for a Miranda Priestly, and yet at the same time, I kind of do. I just want the honor of having been fired by Miranda Priestly. Maybe that's just like the gay boy in me speaking, but... Yeah, I think she's amazing here. It's another one of those performances, kind of like Penelope Cruz, where it's kind of hard to pinpoint the uh, the specific things to say when you just want to paint these broad strokes and just gush all over. Uh, Casey, how do you feel about her? Yeah, I feel like the same way. I think, like I've said before, I feel like I've almost grown up with this film in a way in that it was definitely the first Meryl Street performance I saw. And so I think it's always clouded what I expect of her as an actress in a good way because again she's fantastic in it and I think that I think it's a step above not to get into to spoil the rankings of what Mirren's doing in that playing a stone cold you think one note person and having vulnerable moments I think that she shows that a bit more and a bit better plus she also does have these dry comedic moments like when she's stuck in that storm and she's like, I don't know. It's drizzling. I think that she just has so many, like you said, quotable scenes, great scenes. I think the one thing that always holds me back just slightly, and I don't think it's anything with the performance. I think it's the fact that yes, she is a lead, but it is not her movie, which that doesn't like diminish the performance in any way. I think that's more of just, I think I grapple in my head of, I guess it's lead. Because it's too big to be supporting, but she's not the lead. 
So I think that that's just something that I keep thinking about with it, but I, that's completely outside of what I think her performance is, which is great. Well, that was funny that you brought that up because that was going to be my first question. Is she in the right category here? Because there were some critics uh, um, around that, or critic awards that she had been nominated for, like Vancouver, that put her in supporting. Um, so that was my first question, which you guys obviously just answered there. Um, this is one where if I have to pull out my Diane Ladd category fraud thing... I don't know because the I, I kind of like Brandon goes for like does the story revolve around this character or is it told from this character's point of view? No, it's told from the point of view of uh, Anne Hathaway's character. Okay, so that automatically would take maybe her out of lead, but then she's got enough screen time to not be supporting and be in lead. So I I I don't know with this one. I'll just go from there. Um, this is iconic Meryl Streep. And it's funny that you also mentioned no one else could have played this because it came between her and Sigourney Weaver. Um, and I love Sigourney Weaver, but we already kind of got a little bit of Miranda Priestly, Sigourney Weaver in Working Girl. So yeah. I don't know if this would have been like just Working Girl part two if Sigourney Weaver had been a part of it. So I, I definitely think Meryl is, um, was the right choice here as much as I love me some Weaver. Um, I think she's great. She's funny. She's it, it. It it proved to a whole new generation and uh, to Hollywood that Meryl was still this quote unquote bankable actress because she became a part of the pop culture zeitgeist and um, you know this was a huge win in box office for Meryl. So it you know it, it was a great time to be Meryl Streep when this movie came out. Um, and of course, like I said earlier in the, in the podcast, this movie holds a very dear and near place in my heart because it was the first date I went on with a girl to see this movie. And yeah, um, I, I really love her. I don't think there's any complaint that I have from this one. Um, she's funny where she's funny. She's dramatic where she's dramatic. And, you know, we need more pairs of Tucci and Street films oh, because yes they're the best part about julie and julia and they're the best part about this film so amen yeah i think that if she had been somehow put in supporting she would have won yeah i think it would have been undeniable i think so too even though jennifer hudson took literally everything i think it would have been meryl taking everything instead agreed i don't agreed. i don't actually mind her being in lead here um I see the argument for why she would be supporting because, I mean, this movie does follow um, the Anne Hathaway character, but I feel like Miranda Priestly is so important and pivotal to this story that it almost doesn't feel right that she would be in supporting. And I feel like this is one of those characters who she's in lead in real life and yet people say she's supporting, but if she were supporting, people would be screaming category fraud. It's one yeah. of those in between performances where it's, no one's going to be completely happy about it. And in some weird way, it kind of, the way this story is told, it feels sort of great Gatsby in a way like Anne Hathaway is the Nick Carraway character. And we're seeing the story through this person's eyes, but in a way, Miranda Priestley is this Jay Gatsby type person who is way more interesting and has such a bearing on where the narrator character, so to speak, is going in life, that it feel it would feel false to not put them on the same level, even though Anne Hathaway might have more screen time and she might be the 
I don't know, POV of the movie. It just, uh, it feels okay to me that um, Streep would be in lead here. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. I think it's funny too that like no one could figure out what to do with Tony Collette, but they were instantly like, oh, you could put Meryl in either one and it works. Yeah. Um, here's a question that I have. Would you have nominated Anne Hathaway? I don't I, think so. Yeah, I love her, but it's not one of my favorite performances. And it's not, it's probably like the fourth performance I even think about with this film after Streep and Blunt and Tucci. I honestly feel like I probably would have given her like a Golden Globe nomination, but that's yeah. it. it's a, it, her, her performance feels very globey. Yeah. Um, we have some questions about the overall season here. Um, give me one second as my phone just has set it a lock. I'm still not used to this face ID thing. Mm-hmm. Um, from Kristoff, of the actresses who haven't returned to the Oscars as a nominee since 06, who is most likely to? Um, right now, with what's coming up, I would say uh, Jennifer Hudson, just for Aretha, but that's just me. Yeah, that probably makes the most sense. Yeah, someone who hasn't returned since, I guess Jennifer Hudson makes sense. I guess I could see Abigail Breslin possibly coming back at some point. I'm not sure what what exactly she has on the horizons right now that might give her that opportunity, but I could see her making a comeback at some point. I will say Rinko Kikuchi should have been back for Kumiko the Treasure Hunter. Um, She was fantastic in that. I know she got the Spirit Award for that in 20, or nomination for that in 2014. So she should have been back, but, uh, you know, let's let's get films made that have roles for people like Baratza and Kikuchi and, mm-hmm. you know, those who don't really have a chance in with the roles that are out there right now. So let's bring them back. Rinko was also great on the last season of Westworld. I thought she was fantastic. But yes. just a little side note there. And then we, we kind of did a poll on this, but did what, what about Beyonce and Dreamgirls? That was also definitely a Golden Globe performance. Yeah. She's great in it. Um, I think I think this was in Brandon in your letterbox review, Justice for Anika Noni Rose in Dream yeah. Girls. Yeah. Yeah, Seriously. I love her. Wonderful in that. In that. Um, I do I think I mentioned this before. I, at some point I also love that with Beyonce this year, this was the year that Diana Ross did an anti Beyonce campaign for this movie. Um, because it's fucking Diana Ross. No one else could get away with that. So go go Diana. Um from Andrew Carden, did any of the Friends with Money gals deserve nominations? Yes, McDormand and Joan Cusack. I still need to see that film, so I'm I'm in the dark a bit on that one. Is uh, Jennifer Aniston in that? She is. Well, I'm just going to say Jennifer Aniston then. Okay. Just because. <laughs> just because. Um, this was a question that we kind of already answered, but I'm just going to say it because I'm in love with this person's um, Twitter handle. Make Scream 5 with Kirby. Um, The question, that's the Twitter handle. Uh, The question is, uh, will we see Breslin back at the Oscars? We kind of just answered that, but I just wanted to bring that up because I love that Twitter handle. That's amazing. (laughs) Brandon, take us away. All right. As a reminder, your supporting actress nominees were Jennifer Hudson in Dreamgirls. Uh, Adriana Barasa for Babel, Kate Blanchett for Notes on a Scandal, Abigail Breslin for Little Miss Sunshine, and Rinko Kikuchi for Babel. And I'm actually giving number five to Kate Blanchett for Notes on a Scandal. Um, I think she's fabulous in Notes on a Scandal. Um, 
she really makes that movie work for me. Uh, I also just really love that movie. But something we I don't think we mentioned when we talked about her is I think she's a co-lead with Dench in this. So I'm actually just disqualifying her from this category because I think she and Dench are on equal footing here. And I don't think she should be in the supporting lineup. So Kate Blanchett gets my number five. Blindside. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, y'all wanted a twist. <laughs> Oh, wow. I'm like caught off guard now. Um, my number five is actually Adriana Barraza. And it has nothing to do. I think it has more to do with my distaste for that film. She is good. I think it's just not a performance that I leave that film thinking about as much as some others and some of the others in her category. I also wish that there, I could have gotten a little bit more of her and from her, but I think that's the nature of the film. So yeah, she's my number five. We could all not have been more different. Um, Breslin, is, Abigail Breslin is my number five. It's She's fine, but this is nowhere near Academy-worthy work, and I gotta put her five. My number four is Breslin for Little Miss Sunshine. Um, I think she makes that movie work, and she is so much a part of the overall heart of that movie. But um, I think her co-stars are just as great as she is. And even though she's fantastic, she doesn't exactly stand out from them a whole lot. Um, So I'm going to give Abigail Breslin number four for Little Miss Sunshine. My number four is Rika Kikuchi. Again, I think my distaste for Babel clouds my judgment a bit on those actions. And I think maybe on another day, I would probably feel maybe a bit differently but I think that what she does bring to that performance is incredibly lovely and filled with a lot of sorrow. But as a whole, I think that I would rather just see a film all about her rather than just the segments that we do get of her. So yeah, she's my number four. My number four is going to Jennifer Hudson. She's no Jennifer Holiday, And this is just a big music video that Hudson gets that play in and, yeah, there's no connection for me to this character, so Hudson was a fine fourth runner-up. Uh, Jennifer Hudson is my number three. Uh, she is undeniably an amazing vocalist, and she does very great things with the singing portions of her performance. Um, I really like what she's doing in the non-singing parts, particularly in the second half. Um Those are the parts I find the most interesting. And yet at the same time, I wish someone with a little bit more, some more acting chops had been playing it because I feel like there's so much more digging that could be done. And there's just not enough time on set to do that with someone who doesn't quite have the acting training that Jennifer Hudson had. So um, I'm very in the middle on her. So that's why she is my number three here. My number three is Abigail Breslin. I think like what I said about what I felt about her vulnerability in the film and what she brings to it as the heart of it. I think just when it comes down to it, it's not my favorite performance or even close to my favorite performance in that film. So while I do like it quite a bit, I think it falls right in the middle as far as my ranking of the supporting actresses as a whole. Heard. Um, Kate Blanchett is my number three. Um, this is one where I don't agree with Brandon on when it comes to category placement. Um, I think she's in the right category, but she's she's higher than Hudson, but she's not going any further because while 
she's while I do feel that this is a filler nomination, that moment where she goes nuts in Dench's apartment really makes up for the rest of it. But if you know me by now, I'm not a here's a moment, here's an Oscar type person. So I wouldn't vote for her, but she would definitely beat out Hudson and Breslin. So Kate Blanchett at number three. I'm giving Rinko Kikuchi my runner-up spot for Babel, and I'm uh, going to give Adriana Barasa the win here. Uh, Rinko Kikuchi does a really wonderful job taking this sort of really disturbing uh, portion of the film and creating something really um, heartfelt with it, I guess you could say. I mean, it's kind of hard to describe because kind of what you're seeing here is so troubling. Um with how uh, this character is trying to fit in and come into her own. And it kind of feels very male gazy at times, but she's able to kind of work with it, I think, and create a memorable performance. But um, Barasa here, I think is just, she's the thing that I remember after watching it this last time. Uh, this is my first time watching Babel since uh, way back when, cause it's not really a movie that I'm very fond of. And um, thinking of it over the years, uh, Rinko Kikuchi was the thing I remembered most, probably because her parts of the film are the most uh, troubling and hard to forget. But watching it this last time, um, Adriana was really uh, pulling at me, and I found her portions of the film so moving, uh, particularly in the second half when they're trying to return to the States and basically the shit completely hits the fan. Um, but even in the first half when she's just, she's just a mother so determined to attend her child's wedding that she makes this very drastic decision that she feels she is completely in control of. And then um, she completely loses control. And I don't know. I find it a very, I find the performance very, um, moving and very fun to watch in a very strange way because it is a very upsetting portion of the film so yeah adriana barasa gets my win i'm giving my runner-up spot to jennifer hudson which means my winner is actually kate blanchett in notes on a scandal i think that what hudson's doing i i have a musical theater background so i think a little bit of that forgives maybe some of her lack of experience as an actress a bit and some of her lack of subtlety with how much she just commands the screen and every scene that she's in. And I think that her, it, it's one thing to be a good singer. I think she does act out those scenes very well. And I think, yeah, the, what she does in the second half of the film, I think gives that character a lot more depth and layers to her. And then Blanchett, I think just, it was a side of her as an actress that I, well, I've obviously seen her do types of roles like this. I think there was specifics to it that always drew me in. And I there was I was always feel like I was discovering something new about this character or watching her try to hide something and wondering, like, oh, why is she acting off here? And it all kind of coming together. And then when she completely unravels, it all feels justified and it feels like something that's been built to so yeah Kate Blanchett gets my win here well I am giving my run-up to Adriana Barasa which means I'm giving Rinko Kikuchi the win so again we could not all be different or <laughs> more different um I think Barasa is very touching in what she's got to do in Babel um 
I definitely feel for her character, but Kikuchi throws me for a loop. I, I don't mean to say it like I watch it all the, all the time, but every time I've seen this, it's like, you know, Kikuchi is... Kikuchi is the one who I'm left remembering at the end of this because I think it's the most powerful segment of them all. Um, I think it's beautiful. I definitely would love to see Kikuchi return one day to the Academy uh, Awards stage. I, I just think that this is an actress who who has been a victim to Hollywood not having anything to do for Asian uh, actors, actors and actresses. Um, and yeah, Kikuchi would have been my winner here. So, uh, all right, moving on to lead. We are, our nominees were Helen Mirren, uh, Meryl Streep, Penelope Cruz, Kate Winslet, and Judy Dench. Uh, my number five is Kate Winslet. Just girl, bye. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, my five is also Kate Winslet. I think I've seen her do better. And I think that there's more that you could have done with this repressed housewife type character that I think, I don't know if it was just not on the page or if she wasn't bringing it to it, but I, I've seen her do better and I thought it was just fine. Yeah, I agree. Kate Winslet at five. I mean, we spent more than half of the segment on little children talking about everything, but Kate Winslet. So (laughs) I I think we kind of gave it away there, but yeah, we all agree. Kate Winslet's number five. See, we were so different in supporting, but we started off perfect in in lead. Let's see, let's see if we carry this on. Um, number four this year, I'm giving to Helen Mirren. Actually, she's fine, but I've seen better queens, and um, like Hudson being in my four and supporting, and her the other winner being my four here. There's just the other three are doing way better work, and her her win her her sweep is very confusing to me. My number four is also Helen Mirren. I think what? that I I think that while I think that she's clearly very talented and there's some interesting things going on here, I think at times it does come across as one note in the way that she portrays her. And I think that that might be the character, but it doesn't make for interesting filmmaking personally. And I kind of always just wanted more. And then the moments of vulnerability almost felt forced at times. So yeah, she gets my number four spot. Well, my number four spot is Helen Mirren and the queen. Um, yeah, basically everything Casey just said. Um, I just thought of, there's a scene that for some reason her, she has a line delivery that makes me laugh. And it's that scene where she's encountering like the buck or the elk, whatever it is out in the wilderness. I think it actually might have been her Oscar clip. I'm not sure. I think it was. Where, like, it approaches her and she's like, oh, beauty. And I don't (laughs) know why her delivery of that line, I find so phony and so weird. I don't know. Yeah. That was the scene I was referring to when I was talking about moments feeling forced. Yeah. It's it's an awkward scene. And Helen Mirren, uh, despite how amazing she is as a person, does not save it. So... Yeah, Helen Mirren's my number four. Speaking of really quick, I want to know whose job it is to go through the films and pick the Oscar clips because there have been some very questionable ones over the years. That's why I was very pro the little montages this year because we got like almost multiple clips. Yeah, I can't pick one. Let's throw in a couple. I was I I'm pro a good montage. Well, there's so many great performances in Oscar history that don't have a quote unquote clip. 
they're just beautifully rendered performances throughout that don't have like that big like thunderous moment so i think the montage really works yep agreed well let's see if we continue down this streak of agreeing my number th uh or my third place is miss judith dench um beautifully malicious love her but uh yeah she's going three for me the uh the other two are just doing more and uh yeah judy dench we were so close my number three is meryl streep I think that she is wonderful and iconic in The Devil Wears Prada. I think she earns the title of being iconic in that film. And I think that she uses that sternness, but also humor, and then these moments of vulnerability. I think I'm just, like, pulling hairs here. And I think that, yes, her not... This category confusion kind of weighs in a little bit. Plus, I... I understand the nature of the character, but I think when it comes to performances that I love and gravitate towards at the end, I think I need a little bit more emotional range personally. I know that we get vulnerable moments from her, but I think in this attempt at ranking it, it's just my one little nitpick, even though as a whole, I do really enjoy this performance. I also have Meryl Streep at number three for the Devil oh, Wears Prada. Oh, um, yeah, I think she's she's legendary here. I mean, uh, it's hard to pinpoint a Meryl performance that is more referenced today by the youth than the Devil Wears Prada. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess I'm just really nitpicking here as well, and. Uh, She's not quite as lead-y as these other two that I have here. Actually, that I think we all have here. So, so yeah, she's these. This top three is incredible for me. I'm just really pulling its strings here. And uh, as great as Meryl is in the Delaware's Prada, I'm only placing her at number three in this lineup. Really quick, do you know what just came to my mind about who would have done really, really well in this? And really, the only other person I could have seen play. Miranda outside of Meryl is if Jane Fonda had used this as her comeback instead of Monster-in-Law the year before. Ooh. Oh, that would have been interesting. Delicious. That would have been yeah. quite a comeback, actually. Right, right. Well, um, with that said, Meryl Streep is my runner-up, and I'm giving the win to Penelope Cruz. Streep is, again, I'll use the word delicious here. Streep is delicious, and she her comedy is on point and she earned that golden globe but Cruz has stuck with me since i've seen since i first saw this almost a decade ago um everything she's doing here um because she does have some comedic moments in this film but um the the comedy the music the the drama the tears when she goes under the bed and she feels whole um, the knife, the, I mean, the, everything in this movie. Cruz should have walked with this Oscar like Mirren did, and that is in a cakewalk. Um, God, the Academy really fucks it up here. Casey, what about you? Good news. My runner-up is Judy Dench, and my winner is also Penelope Cruz. <laughs> I, good to, I, one, everything you said about Penelope Cruz, but I think that Judy Gench was very close up there for me. I think that she 
is deliciously evil in it, but also I find her incredibly sad and I simultaneously fear her and feel bad for her. I think that she is always believable in what she is doing, even if it can seem outlandish or over the top. But Cruz is just so special in Volver. I think, like I said, I she ju- I think it's just the way that Amadovar shoots his films and the look of them that when she cries, like her tears just feel like lights on the screen. And she's also, yeah, incredibly charming and funny and also moving and vulnerable. I think that I I just have never seen this type of range for her. And now I'm very excited to watch all of her collaborations with Pedro because I think that what he brings out of her as an actress is remarkable and she should have walked away with it. Well, Penelope Cruz is my winner and uh, oh. Judy Dench is my runner-up. Um, I'm kind of mad because any other year, Judy Dench very well would be running away with this win for me. Yeah, I think me she's too. fantastic in Notes on a Scandal. This might be my favorite performance of hers. I'm not sure. It's certainly up there. Um, it's so hard, I think, for a performer to play a character as villainous, and yet at times you find yourself kind of on their side and in a way rooting for them, even though you know they're doing something really heinous. Um, Judy Dench pulls it off, though. Um, this is such a delicious little film, and Judy Dench, I think, taps into it and just rolls with it and adds her own layers to it and just makes it even better. Um, the shot of her in the bathtub with the cigarette is just is just lovely. I don't know what to call it. I want to be that when I'm her age. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Penelope Cruz in Volver, uh, simply perfection. Um, not sure what else to say. I, it's a wonderful performance uh, in a movie that more people should see. Um, I'm sure plenty of people have seen it, but even more need to. And uh, if it's been a while since you've watched it, I highly recommend revisiting it because it is pretty phenomenal. And Penelope's great. It's so clear uh, that she was Pedro's muse for so long. He seems to know exactly um, how to craft her as a performer or as a director, you know, with his performer. Um, yeah, it's it's a simply stunning performance, and I think uh, she should have won this year. So Penelope Cruz is my winner. Well, as a review, uh, I give it to Rico Kikuchi and Penelope Cruz. Casey? I give it to Kate Blanchett and Penelope Cruz. And I have Adriana Barasa and Penelope Cruz. So if there's definitely one thing we agree here on is that Penelope Cruz should have won this year for lead actress. Mm-hmm. With that said, quick little fun side game. Uh, case While Brandon and I can't answer this for, you know, the children listening for the future episodes, but you can. Um, but this year, Pain and Glory, Penelope, would, you, would anyone have gotten her in on supporting there? I, it's the one film of this entire Oscar season that I missed in a theater and it's still not available anywhere, so I can't comment, sadly. I haven't seen it either. Guys, it's that red box. Go get it. That's where I... <laughs> um, Okay, I would have said no to this one, but uh, for that. But 
um, Casey, what would you have given it to Penelope for Vicky Cristina Barcelona? And if not, who was your winner that year in supporting? Um, let me let me refresh my brain real quick on who else was nominated that year because I remember that was the big. It's um, it was Kate Winslet winning all the precursors and then ended up being in lead. Um, yeah. So that was Marissa Tomei and the wrestler Viola Davis and Doubt Taraji P Henson and Benjamin Button. And um, who am I missing, Brandon? Amy Adams and Doubt. Amy I would Adams probably either Penelope or Viola Davis, but mm, I guess Penelope. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm pretty sure I know where you're going to stay with this one. Her nine nomination. Would you have given it to her that or would that have gone to Monique for you? I, it wouldn't have gone to her for nine. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Okay. Well, you guys will all hear if we agree with uh, Casey at all in the next couple weeks. So, um, did you have fun? Yes, this was great. Perfect. And we always ask too: Did anyone's winners shock anybody? I was pleasantly surprised. Once we had the conversations, I kind of knew where things were going. But going into this, I was pleasantly surprised that we were all on the same page with like. Cruz and Dench, and I think Streep was like a given. So, yeah, pretty much the same. I will say the biggest shock didn't even come from the winner. It's the fact that Kate Blanchett was Brandon's fifth. As soon as he said that, I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> I was like, "Holy shit!" She's in, liter- she's in literally half the movie. The entire movie relies upon her affair. The movie like, is only half a movie. It's 90 minutes. <laughs> and she's in at least 45 of them. <laughs> All right. Well, Casey, uh, where, could the, where, can the, where can everyone find you? Um, so you can find any of my writing and other podcasting at Next Best Picture, but I'm on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. All right. Well, thank you again to Casey for coming on with us. And on the count of three, we're going to give a big goodbye. Ready? One, two, three. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.